Blog Talk Radio. Job skills and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. 
I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like... Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal heart. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that went in my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight five one six is my digits kicking things off, getting things ready to go. Joining us now is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, how is you, sir? Good man. Uh, like always, I appreciate you having me, and I'm still breathing. One more, one more week to be on the balance. Well, you know what? That's two good reasons to to uh, be excited. Uh, so let's get into this, and we're gonna. We're going to talk more into this in the, in the next segment, but the big but the Big Ten has decided. Well, the question is, we are glad that they decided, but are do we understand why they decided to, to do the flip flop? We know why it is. It's it's the political pressure. It's the 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 fan pressure. It was the pressure that they receive receiving. That said, hey, uh, you know, we need to probably reevaluate this. But but the Big Ten did not have to go down the road that it did. But it's back, and so let's talk about the return of the Big Ten. Well, you know, I think it's it was a lot of pressure from a lot, uh, mostly from Ohio State, because Ryan Day feels like he has a national championship uh, caliber team. Uh, his quarterback is, is probably not going to be there again next year. Josh Fields will probably be the number two selected quarterback in the draft. And, uh, you know, he 
felt he had to strike now. And I think there was a lot of pressure put on by the big universities in the Big Ten. Uh, we saw Nebraska do it. We saw Ohio State do it. We saw parents of the uh, Michigan Wolverines do it. So when you've got your big charter schools in that sport putting pressure on uh, a new president, I, I think that uh, they pretty much had no choice but to try to come back. Well, and, and here's the, I guess that's the other question. If, if Ohio State decided that, that they're going to put all kinds of pressure because they feel like they have the caliber in a, I mean, the, the championship caliber team in place, and that if they didn't come back, they'd be cheated from a championship. What happens? And we're going to have uh, we're going to have Adam Jividen on here in the next segment here, and I don't certainly don't think this is going to happen. But what happens if Ohio State just sucks an egg this year? I mean, you know, anything's possible. That's why they play the games. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, – I really do think they have a talented squad. As much as I dislike the the, the Ohio State University, I do think <laughs> they have a talented squad. Uh, you know, and I think that they feel that, uh, you know, there's a lot uh, – you know, a lot of the big-time programs lost a lot of big players, including Alabama. Uh, you know, so I think it's important. And I think one thing that, that maybe pushed them quicker is I know that uh, – that their quarterback uh, Justin Fields had had looked into possibly transferring to a a uh, a conference and a team that was going to play right now. So, uh, you know, I think that's where the pressure really started to come because if the Big Ten started losing big time players to other conferences who were playing, you know, how do you explain that? So, uh, you know, and also looked at hurting recruiting. You know, I don't think I don't think guys want to play two seasons in the spring and in the fall next year. So. I think that that's what really pushed the Big Ten to uh, to making the decision they made. So you know we we uh, had an opportunity to catch up with uh, Ed uh, yesterday. Uh, he wasn't able to he's not able to come on live with us today. So we did tape the segment. So I know what he's going to say and what he's going to talk about. But let's let's just kind of get your thoughts about the Colts and their game one. Okay, we can we we can in one side of our, our mouth we can say, well, they didn't have a preseason, you know, they got some youngsters and we could we can do that. And then there's the other side that says you've got a a very experienced, although aged, very experienced quarterback. One quarterback that outside of Tom Brady and it might even be a tie that the Indianapolis Colts fans hate more is Tom Brady or Phillip Rivers. We ended up with Phillip Rivers. Maybe it was a good business decision. Maybe it's not. And that's, that story is yet to be told. Drury's still out on that. But if we were to tell that story off of one game, uh, Phillip Rivers came out really in a bad way. I mean, in that first touchdown, uh, uh, Scoring drive uh, with Naheem Hines, we thought, wow, this is good. Then we saw interception, interception, and then we saw the whole game play out. And we'll get to some of the other issues that, that, that killed the Colts. But you can't be an NFL, uh, possibly an NFL Hall of Famer quarterback and have three interceptions in the same game. It just can't happen. There has to be some ownership from Philip Rivers and from the Colts organization, and we and you know we got our home opener. God forbid, God forbid, it's not a it's not a must win uh, game uh, tomorrow. It's a win that we must have. And if we go zero and two, and we we lose our home opener, 
It is going to be hell on earth for the Colts from the fans, social media, local media, radio here. So, I mean, let's just, let's just, you know, let it all come out because Philip Rivers has to take some ownership. Uh, Frank Reich has to take some ownership. Uh, Ballard has to take some ownership in, in, what happened last week in the loss to probably the worst, the worst team in the AFC South. Let's talk about the Colts and the Jaguars loss and what it, they beat themselves. It's almost like they tried to lose. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll take ownership in the fact of <clears throat> that. Uh, I've been saying this since we started talking about it <laughs> Excuse me, in December, that Phillip Rivers was not the quarterback. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> That the Colts needed. He was just not. He was not the quarterback. I, you know, I even said that I, I would take Jameis Winston at this point over Philip Rivers, and and it's because of those those inopportune situations where he throws the interceptions when it's a bad time in the game. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, bad decisions or bad bad throws. Um, you know, after watching him play with uh, Chargers last year, you know, I was I was strictly against remember against the Colts signing Philip Rivers. So. I hate to feel like I can kick my feet up and say, I told you so, but, you know, I don't know that it lasts the entire season. You know, it, they've got to figure some things out. The the health of Marlon Mack uh, obviously is going to hurt uh, some of the things they plan to do. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the Colts will figure it out and try to right the ship. But it feels very reminiscent of last year's first game, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I tell you what, and we, we'll get into this conversation later on with Ed Kratz, but it just seems like, the most important position that any NFL team can have is the quarterback position. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that everything happened with Andrew Luck, but I think we've moved past that. I think we've even moved past the conversation about Andrew Luck returning, and that's why they signed Phillip Rivers for one year, because I'm not even hearing uh, – I'm not even hearing anything about the return of Andrew Luck, which, you know, that's his choice. He's a grown man. He he made his money. He did his mark, and maybe he just felt like the NFL wasn't for him. But certainly everything began to spiral downwards with that the quarterback position. So, I mean, if it keeps hap- if it keeps playing like we are now, uh, Philip Rivers will be a one-year quarterback. But even if things go right, maybe he's still a one-year quarterback. But I'm I'm concerned about a, another situation in the quarterback situation that I saw uh, last week, and that was do I do I have a problem with Jacoby Brissett playing? No, but he's a Q, QB two for a reason. Why would we put him in a position of third and two or whatever it was, and almost to the red zone to have such a a catastrophe of course of the sack and we lost what 15 10 15 yards on that i don't understand the method of the madness for that it's trying to be tricky like the saints are with Taysom hill when they bring him in you know i think it was to give a different look uh it was to try to catch the the defense off guard you know i think uh the way the Saints use Taysom Hill is uh, is fantastic, and I think that's what the Colts try to give a little bit of a look like the Saints do with him, and uh, and it didn't work out. Well, and it won't work out. So hopefully they've they've learned their lesson. But now let's let's talk about some of the other issues. I mean, the, Philip Rivers' interceptions and his mistakes is 
It's just a, a, a part, one part of the ingredient of the cake loss, if you will. We, we got to talk about Paris uh, Campbell, who decided that, hey, hey, guess what? I, I, took a, I took a hard hit, and I can take it, and I can, I can jump in your, up in your face and, and talk smack and blah, blah, blah. And um, I think it was um, Quentin Nelson that came up and grabbed him and said, come on, man, you can't do that. Well, by that time, it was too late. The, the refs had already saw it and got a taunting call. That cost us 15 yards, and we were, again, on the verge of a first down and getting close to the red zone. That can't happen. Those things can't happen. No, but we, see, we we do see it happen a lot, though. You know, that's a problem. And, and for all intents and purposes, I'm not sticking up for Paris Campbell because it was an absolutely asinine move. But, you know, realistically, this kid's still a rookie. You know, he played in what? Uh, not even a full game if he had up all the time he played last year. So uh, I think he's a kid who's battled through, you know, numerous surgeries last year, three injuries. And, you know, he, uh, he decided to puff his chest out a little bit. And uh, it was a rookie mistake. And for all intents and purposes, I, I think he's, you know, He's still a rookie when it comes to game time. I get it. I understand it. But he's a he's a rookie that's getting paid a lot of money, and he's and, and he's at what point? I mean, okay, we let him have it this time, but the, we always we always say, oh, it's just a rookie mistake. And maybe if it wasn't such a colossal loss with the Colts, we wouldn't be looking at that so much. But we just look at all the things that went wrong with the Colts. I hope that they've got it figured out against against the the, the Vikings. What are they going to do to be to beat the Vikings at home tomorrow? I, you know, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted when it comes to that game plan because you know Gardner Minshew's uh, you know a decent quarterback, but you know he's not nearly as good as Kirk Cousins, who has had struggles. So uh, their running game is fantastic. You know we're pretty good up front, but that opens up the. Uh, the defensive backfield, which struggled against the Jaguars, the freaking Jaguars, who, who have uh, you know probably the worst uh, you know roster top. They've got 22 rookies on their team, and uh, and we lost to them. So you know tomorrow's game, I, I think it's is pretty scary and could get out of hand. Uh, you know I, I know they'll try to use Dalvin Cook to run the ball, uh, but that's going to open up a lot of passing uh, down the field, and, and I don't know that the Colts can a keep up with scoring the ball on the on the Vikings and. Uh, can keep them out of the end zone when it comes to putting the ball in there. That secondary is still just an absolute mess. I do know this fact that it's less than less than uh, I mean more ninety percent of the time if you go zero and two you don't make it to the playoffs. If you go zero and three it's almost never heard of. It's like getting struck by lightning twice, if you will. Um, so, it, it, but on the other hand of it. On the other flip side of it, if you go 2-0, and you have almost a 90% chance of getting into the playoffs. What happens if the, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Titans and we lose to the Vikings? I, we, think, I, mean, a, I think it's a good possibility that the, the Titans could. You know, they, uh, they didn't play well at all against the undermanned uh, Denver team last week, and I think the Jaguars got all the confidence in the world. Uh, I really do. Uh, you know, for the Colts, you know, they do have some easy teams on the schedule coming up. We do have some dates with the Jets. And so I think there's a, a possibility to rebound. You know, the Colts have rebounded. They made the playoffs from 0-2 before. Uh, granted, you know, number 18 was the quarterback at that point. Uh, so I just, 
it's going to be tough. It really is going to be tough. Jacksonville will level off. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that if they do win tomorrow, that 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 won't continue. Uh, but, you know, the Colts, uh, are, I don't think it's going to be the cakewalk that most Colts fans thought it would be in this division. I think they're going to have to struggle, scratch, and claw to make the playoffs. Let's talk about the, the Pacers as we're playing the homework, homework card here before we let you go. Are the Pacers going to be the first team in history, in NBA history, to hire a female head coach? It sure feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, and it shouldn't matter whether she's a female or not. Obviously, it will be huge news. Uh, but, you know, there's not a lot of coaches out there better than Becky Hammond. Uh, she's learned under Greg Popovich, you know, who some consider one of the, the top three best coaches of all time. Uh, and, you know, I think he was sending her up to, to coach that team. So I don't know that the Pacers will necessarily uh, be able to snag her. She might uh, stay at home in, in uh, San Antonio. Uh, and, you know, no, I know they were really hot for Mike D'Antoni, but it all intents of all uh, arrows point to the fact it looks like he could be uh, in New Orleans as their coach. Uh, you know, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but I, I don't know that San Antonio will let uh, Becky Hammonds go without a fight. Well, I, and here's the thing: certainly they should look at her, and, and and maybe she is the right choice. But I but I I just caution the Pacers to be more on what's good for the Pacers as opposed to making history, as opposed to being the, 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 the team that everybody talks about that hired the first female coach. I've got nothing against a, a female head coach. I mean, certainly not. I mean, it would make sense that that, that would eventually happen. Uh, but uh, I just want the Pacers to make the right decision because we just sucked an egg when it came to, uh, came to this year's uh, performance. And, you know, we started off well, but it is what it is. Does, does LeBron James get the the uh, MVP uh, just because he's LeBron James, or does it belong to um, the guy from the Nuggets? Uh, and I can't pronounce his last name, but but who gets the MVP uh, this year with the NBA? Well, Giannis won it yesterday for a second straight year. Oh, I, I didn't get that. Okay. Right. So yeah, I think I think I saw some people. The, the only okay. two players that got uh, the only two players that got first place votes were Giannis and LeBron. James Harden uh, finished third. Uh, you know, LeBron was a little upset of the lack of first place votes he got. I think he only got 16. Uh, so yeah, Giannis won his first second year in a row, and that's because the NBA only does it on regular season performance. And so Giannis led that team throughout the regular season. Now, if they included playoffs, obviously. Uh, Giannis wouldn't have, wouldn't have won the MVP for a second straight year, but since the NBA only does it on regular season, he was a, a two-time winner, a back-to-back winner, uh, the last, I think, since Steph Curry. So, uh, yeah, Giannis is your NBA MVP this year. So how are you doing on time? Are you, you got to go, or are you, are you good? I got about two minutes. All right, go right to the National League Central. The Cubs, your Cubs are in the lead. The Reds, the Cardinals, the Brewers, and the Pirates uh, will start there. Uh, how, how, does it, uh, how does the National League Central play out for us? Well, you know, the Cardinals have picked up the pace a little bit. They, you know, went in two last night against Pittsburgh. Definitely helped. Uh, you know, for the Cubs, I, I think, you know, they haven't been scoring a whole lot of runs lately, but they haven't had to because the pitching's been phenomenal. But sooner or later, you're going to hit a, you know, a skid with your pitchers. So, uh, you know, the Cubs want to stay out of the bullpen. They've had, you know, uh, starters go seven, eight-plus innings in, in numerous starts. So the Cubs are going to start figuring out a way to score runs. 
I think that's the biggest problem. They have to figure out a way to, to start to, to start scoring their runs, and so they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to score runs and not let St. Louis uh, not let St. Louis catch them. But you know, St. Louis has been playing well as of late. The Cubs have uh, you know played a couple of tough teams lately in the Indians and uh, uh, and Minnesota. So it's uh, you know it, it's going to come down to who's going to score runs. Honestly, at the end, I mean the pitching has been great uh, and been good for both teams, but. You know, St. Louis has a lot of doubleheaders, so they have a chance to catch the Cubs playing a lot of those seven-inning games. That could work in their favor, but it, also, it could also be a detriment. But St. Louis has been pretty damn good in doubleheaders this year. Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us. Mo, appreciate you taking some time to join us uh, this morning. Where can people find your work and masterpieces, sir? Uh, you know, I don't think I've had a masterpiece in a while, Tom. So <laughs> I would just check out the Bounce's Twitter account. All right. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. You have yourself a good day, and we'll talk with you soon, sir. All right, bud. Have a great weekend. You too. Got no way to prove Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us and helping us break down uh, just sports as we as we continue to move forward and talking a little bit of the homework card with us. On the flip side, on the other side, as they say, we're going to be talking some Notre Dame football with Rick Riggin and some Ohio State Buckeye football uh, with uh, Adam Jividen and the theme being, oh, yeah, that's right, college football is back. The Big Ten is back. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. And you're only human. After all, don't put the blame on me. Don't put your blame on me. Swedish techno confusing. Bok, bok, meow, meow. 
dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run. No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're looking my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. And welcome back to the balance. My name is Saul Mark President Dave. Thank you, Mo, for the BS Sports Show for helping us kick things off. Well, it is back. College football is back, and our our college football gurus and experts are joining us. We've got super fan, Irish fan, uh, Rick Reagan joining us, who's a, certainly a longtime uh, friend of the show, and then Adam Dividend, super Buckeye fan, and Browns fan. We're going to get to the Browns. Uh, went over over the uh, over the Bengals. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna slow the roll dust a little bit because I think Joe Burrow is is the real deal. But let's get right into this. Nick Reagan, welcome back to the balance. How is you, sir? Hey, pretty good. And thank you for the old walk up music, man. That's a great song. Hey man, I did I did it in your honor, man. I, I thought you were gonna appreciate that. Out of dividend, super Browns fan and Buckeyes fan, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes are claiming victory for the return of the Big Ten. Had nothing to do with the fact that the that the the fan base was going crazy and the, the president got involved. But hey, we'll we'll, we'll give credit to. The Ohio State Buckeyes were putting the pressure on the Big Ten uh, for the comeback. What are your thoughts there, buddy? How are you? I'm I'm doing good, Tom. Uh, it was a good day Wednesday, and come October 24th, I don't care who we're playing, they're going to get a hurting uh, because this Buckeye team is ready to roll. It's one day after my birthday, so we'll we'll, we, we'll see what uh, happens. Our birthday, it. Tom. That's right. I forget. We have the same birthday. I always forget that. <laughs> we have the same birthday. That is that is fun. And you're my twin brother. Nobody knows it, though, from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, and let, let, let's get into uh, Notre Dame. Uh, certainly, you know, it, it, it feels, even though it, football is back, college football is coming back, 
it, it, it feels different this year. I mean, it just feels different. So I tell you what, uh, help us, uh, give us a shot in the arm for the old uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Obviously today, I believe that you've got uh, Fort, uh, uh, South Florida Bulls uh, Both of you guys coming in at one and one and zero oh, uh, at Notre Dame. One, are they allowing fans there at Notre Dame? I hadn't heard. Are they allowing tailgating? I went for, for the first time last year. I went for my first home game at Notre Dame, and I'm going to tell you what, that was a blast. And, and tailgating, even if you never make it inside the, the stadium itself, but it was a blast. But I don't think that they're going to allow full capacity, but what's the status on that? And, and talk with us a little bit about your Notre Dame fighting Irish. Yeah, I'm not sure on the tailgating, but they are allowing 20% capacity in right now. So, uh, Brian Kelly said last week it still felt like a great football atmosphere because everybody was engaged. You know, of course, a lot of students, maybe most, all the students, whatever their capacity for the student section is, I think that pretty full filled up except, you know, the social distancing thing. So, they were pretty spread out. But it was a good atmosphere. My thoughts on college football in Notre Dame so far, I just think every team – even though it's great to be back, but they all just look kind of flat. You know, I don't think they got to practice how they would normally practice and get prepared for the season how, you know, they normally would. So Notre Dame looked flat last week against Duke, and I think that was, uh, you know, Duke had a backup, Clemson's old backup quarterback, you know, said so decent quarterback. I think Duke's probably a little better than what they've given credit for, but also Notre Dame just – what clicking on all cylinders most of the game last week. And I think most teams were like that. Clemson looked like that, you know, against their uh, competition last week. I think that's all college football, right? Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's unfortunate because I'm trying to get that – I'm trying to get that resurgence back. And I, I, for some reason, I just feel like the return of the Big Ten put it all back together. Uh, I mean, even though we don't have fans, per se, in full capacity in the NFL, uh, the Eagles aren't having uh, fans at, at Lincoln Financial this weekend, but the, the Colts are having fans. So I guess it just depends on, on where, where yeah, you're at. right. It, it, so it's, just, it's true. It's only having just maybe a handful of big-name teams to choose from today to watch instead of you – know, I mean, the SEC don't start until next week, so you don't have – you know your your Bama's and Georgia's, Florida's, LSU's. You don't you can't watch them today. You can't watch Ohio State, and, you know Michigan, all the big names in the Big Ten today. You know you, you get Notre Dame, you get Clemson, uh, you get your, your Big Twelve teams. You know, but you only have a handful of you know top notch teams to uh, really watch for. Maybe that's part of the uh, there's excitement, but it doesn't feel the same. Maybe that's uh, just all part of it. Adam Jevedan, let's talk a little bit about the return of the Big Ten. Huge, uh, I think a huge lift. And, and, and I joked around and say, you know, Ohio State's taking credit for the pressure that they put on there. But, you know, in all fairness, the president was involved. There was a lot of people involved in the return of the Big Ten. But I just wonder, what, why, why the flip-flop? And I think it's, it has to do a lot with the pressure. But, you know, certainly let's talk about Ohio State in the return of the Big Ten. But let's, let's also talk about the return of the Big Ten. Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, we, we say, like, well done, Ohio State, for applying pressure. Um, but really everything that, 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 that you're hearing um, 
in Columbus and, and, and in other parts of the Big Ten is that it really was. It was Ohio State and Nebraska that were not going to give up, that put on a ton of pressure. Um, Ohio State has a new president named Christina Johnson. Um, both her, um, our athletic director, Gene Smith, um, Coach Day, I think they realized, like, or, or not realized, I think they got sick and tired of having Northwestern be the loudest person in the room, uh, and they just were like, this is absolutely ridiculous. We're not going to let Northwestern or Rutgers um, and whatever agenda they may or may not have uh, dictate what we're doing. And so they, they kept the hammer down. The parents, um, led by Randy Wade, the father of uh, All-American corner and likely top you know, 10 to 15 pick Sean Wade, led a group of Big Ten parents in really saying, you have to give our sons a choice. Like, if they want to opt out, that's up to them. But you can't strip them of their choice because, as we've seen, as you mentioned, it's not just an opportunity to, to pr- play for your future, but it's an opportunity to put everything together that you've been working so hard for. You know, we hear stories every year of the guys that were, you know, not even on a draft radar. You know, if Joe Burrow wouldn't have played his last season at LSU, he would have been a fifth or sixth round pick, and instead he went number one overall. Same thing with Baker Mayfield. Um, I mean, we see this happen every year where guys go from, you know, a low-round undrafted pick to, you know, they put it together and they vault themselves into the first or the second round. Uh, even beyond that, uh, the, the, the econ- uh, economic ramifications of what it does for a city like Lincoln, Nebraska, that doesn't have a ton going on um, besides, you know, Cornhusker football, you have all the vendors, all the construction projects, all the everything that makes up their livelihood um, really factored in. You throw in also the fact that you had uh, the Ohio attorney general that was saying, if we don't play, Ohio State has legal grounds to sue for $50 million minimum in financial repercussions to the conference. I mean, it was, it was getting pretty loud. And then what the presidents are all saying is that, well, you know, the COVID testing changed and we're seeing a, a, a great – um, which it did. We're seeing a great drop, you know, across the, the Big Ten footprint in active cases, which if that's what they want to say, awesome. Um, one of the largest pharmaceutical COVID testing companies right now is Abbott Labs, which is in Columbus, Ohio, um, basically said, like, look, we will secure whatever you guys need and we'll even donate some if it means that you can play football. Um, and, and so I think it was a combination of of all of that, that kindly finally forced these high castle, high brow academic presidents to, to actually look and think about it. Um, because you also got all the negative press where they were saying the presidents didn't even talk to the athletic directors about, Hey, what is our testing protocol? They were just making an assumption that they weren't doing things properly. When in reality, the Cleveland Browns and the NFL were actually adopting a lot of the protocols that Ohio State had set up for spring practice. And that's what a lot of the NFL teams have adopted is the exact same protocols that Ohio State instituted back in April. So, you know, I, I just think I'm glad that they finally figured it out. Um, and I'm just ready for, I'm ready for Ohio State to get, to get going. Um, practice started yesterday, and, and I can't wait to see – uh, Justin Fields and, and company back on, back on our, our turf. 
Yeah, hold, hold that thought there because we're going to get into some Justin Fields talk here in just a second. Rick Reagan, uh, your thoughts on, on the return of the Big Ten and a big piece of the puzzle, but now that we think that the Pac-12 is going to follow suit. Yeah, uh, they're trying to have a, a Halloween day return, uh, October 31st, and so is the MAC. The MAC is also trying to come back. And real quick, what? I want to touch on something else, the Big Ten, because uh, Adam brought up something that's kind of funny, you know, when the uh, – the state of Ohio had their lawsuit filed against the Big Ten. The state of Nebraska did the same thing. Their attorney general filed a lawsuit against the Big Ten for the Big Ten operating in the state as a nonprofit organization when they said no football without having the proper paperwork or credentials filed. So that also went into it. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the question? I went. I went on a ramble there. What was the question? <laughs> oh no, no, that, you you did just fine. That was that was just the, the, getting your thoughts on, on the return of the yeah. Big Ten and thinking that the Pac-12 will be the, the next to follow suit. It just seems like that we could have had all of this figured out from the beginning. And and like Adam, oh, Adam said, you know, there were threat. There had to be threats of lawsuits and. You know, it's it's good that we've got pharmaceutical companies that are helping donate stuff. And and, and here's the thing, it, you know, I, I don't know this to be fact, but the information that's been presented to me recently is that the, the vaccine is will be ready in November. And by April, everybody in America should have the opportunity to have a, a vaccine. And I think that that'll, that'll solve a, a, lot of, a lot of problems. And a lot of issues, but let's go, let's go back uh, to the the game in hand uh, uh, today at two thirty. Uh, South Florida Bulls uh, in in Notre Dame. If you're in the in the war room, Rick, uh, with uh, Coach Brian Kelly, uh, you've got guys like Kyle Hamilton, Kevin Austin, Chris Tyree that are key players. How do we weave all those players in to make sure that they, that the Irish get a Solid win if you're in the war room uh, playing the game. Well, here, here's what I'll say about the South Florida game because uh, when they played each other back in 2011, uh, I was at that game. Notre Dame came into that game as 10-point favorites and ended up losing. And that was a skip coached South Florida team. And it was a disaster from the get-go. It was delayed by Storm twice. Game took seven hours to play. Notre Dame came out with a loss, and now they're 10-point favorites in that game. Today, they're 26-point favorites. Uh, I would just say until over the next couple games, the most teams in the country be this way, until if they start hitting full-time and, and getting back to practicing how they would normally practice, uh, I would bet the under in this game also. I think Notre Dame gets the win by a couple scores. I don't think it would be like 26-and-a-half points. Adam Dividend, Super Bucks, and hey, we want to talk a little bit about this Justin Fields guy. He's a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong. He certainly is an NFL quarterback. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but for him to take credit, or at least say he takes credit, he says he helped change the Big Ten's mind. He feels like that there needs to be a 30 for 30 uh, game uh, show about Ohio State. Uh, oh, and here's another thing. He compares himself to Patrick Mahomes. Can we slow our Justin Fields' roll just a little bit? I, I mean, a Fields Fields said that the thirty for thirty, you know, in. in... Are you there? Oh, 
I think we lost him. He sounds like he fell off a cliff or something. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Are if you, you there? Yep, can you hear me? Yep, I, I can. You. It sounded like you uh, okay. fell off a cliff or something. <laughs> oh, okay. No, yeah. But, I mean, when you look at it, look at his size and his speed and his arm strength, I, I think if he thinks, would I like to design my game after? I think Patrick Mahomes is a, is a good example. I mean, look at the stats that the dude put up last year. Patrick Mahomes is also blessed to go and get drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs that already had Travis Kelsey. They already had Tyreek Hill. They already had a bunch of these really good playmakers, a great offensive line, and a Hall of Fame coach. Could Justin Fields turn into that one day? Sure. I think personally, and I've watched Ohio State football ever since I was four years old, as well as then I've watched a lot of tape of the the greats beforehand, he's the most physically talented quarterback there has ever played at Ohio State. Just look at the numbers that he put up last year. I mean, absolutely unbelievable numbers, and he's going to be better this year. Headlined by um, an unbelievable uh, receiver room. Um, We've got great, probably, in my opinion, the best offensive line in the country. When you've got All-Americans, Basically, at, at left guard, the best left guard since uh, Notre Dame's own. Uh, oh goodness, he plays for us in the in Indianapolis. Quentin um, Nelson. Quentin Nelson. Hey. Yep. Um, yeah. Best left. Wyatt Davis is the best left guard since Quentin Nelson. Um, Josh Myers is the best center in in America. They've got right guard. They replaced Jonah Jackson, um, who's starting for the Detroit Lions with a freshman, Harry Miller, that was the number one offensive guard recruit in the country two seasons ago. They returned Thayer Mumford at left tackle, and then right tackle is going to be filled by a five-star recruit, um, the number one offensive tackle in the country a few years ago, um, uh, in Nicholas Pettit-Frere. So they'll have the best, probably the best offensive line in the country. Oregon's the only other one that's potentially in the running for that discussion. And so Fields is going to have an absolute monster season. Will he put it up enough for the Heisman? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how the Heisman looks at the shortened season. Um, but I think it's definitely possible. Well, guys, let's uh, take a, a, a walk around uh, the, the few college football games that we do have going on uh, today. And we'll start, we'll just kind of move around the clock here with you, Rick. We've got Syracuse at Pittsburgh. Certainly, uh, Pittsburgh is in the top uh, 25. Uh, they're a Pitt top 45 coming on today at noon. What are your thoughts? Well, Pitt actually looked pretty good last week. I'm going Pitt kind of big in this game. Adam, what are your thoughts, Syracuse and Pitt today? Yeah, I, I mean, Syracuse looked terrible, um, and Pitt looks good. So I, I, I would I would agree with Rick on that one. All right, guys, let's move on to Austin K and Cincinnati. The Bearcats, I think, will have a, a relatively easy afternoon, but you never know, Rick. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up Cincinnati because, you know, Conference USA is also playing. Nobody talks about them. They're not a big-name conference. But Cincinnati has a real chance, I mean, a really great chance going undefeated this year. So, if the three big three, you know, that are playing now or, you know, are going to play the next couple of weeks, SEC, ACC, uh, Big 12, and then Conference USA all have undefeated teams, you know, Clemson, let's say Clemson, Bam, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, all undefeated. That's going to leave Texas, Notre Dame, Georgia, teams like that at 11-1. and one. 
what are they going to do at the Big Ten when it comes to playoff time? Only right, nine know, games when you count, when you count the uh, conference championship. We've had that conversation about how the impact of, what, of, of the playoffs is going to happen with the Big Ten on that look. And certainly that is a certain conversation to have. But, you know, that's a very good point. What are your thoughts on that, Adam? I, I think I think I think that's going to come down to like a who's playing um, for the teams and and how do they look? I think if Ohio State comes out and absolutely murders the Big Ten, which I think very well could happen, I think they'll put up. I, I, I think, think they average, I think they will though. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Ohio State's going to average sixty plus. I think the bigger question, I think the conference that could get left out is is the the Big Twelve. Oklahoma always has a game or two that they stumble. And they started Spencer Rattler in his first game, and he looked good, but they played, like, South Missouri um, last week. So I, I think Oklahoma could stumble. Texas always, you know, seems to get two or three games where they just look lost. Um, and I think if Oklahoma is uh, in, a, in a struggle, um, it has any stumbles, I think the, 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 the playoff committee is going to have a hard time putting Oklahoma back in in a four seed seeing the last two years, they've gotten absolutely boat raced in the playoffs. I tell you what, we're going to see what happens, and that's for sure. That's going to be a very interesting conversation that we'll continue to have. Let's move on around our games, and we've got number 19, Louisiana. It's, it's, it's funny how when nobody else is playing, how you, you, you mysteriously get it in the top 25, Rick. Uh, but we got number 19, uh, Louisiana Lafayette uh, with against Georgia State. I'm taking the Raging Cajuns here in this one. They looked great last week against Iowa State. The uh, big upset, but they went into uh, Ohio. Somebody's whispering. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. I caught it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they looked great last week. They have a, 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 a top pick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their, their receiver, I can't think of his name for uh, uh, Louisiana Lafayette. He did himself a big favor. He's probably going to be a first-round draft pick as a wide receiver. Because the whole country got to watch him play because, you know, that nobody was the only football that was on last week. So, yeah, nobody else was playing. So, that worked out great to his benefit. Uh, they, look, they look good. I love the Sun Belt Conference this year. I think they went 2-0 and and 3-0 and against the Big 12 last week. Adam, uh, what are your thoughts on this game? I, I, I honestly did not catch them, but I don't have uh... – so I don't have any, any, <laughs> any thoughts any different than what Rick said. Yeah, what yeah, what Rick said. Just just go wrong with what Rick said. We got so That's far. always safe bet. Just just go with what Rick said. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, make that the tagline for the show from here on out. Yeah, there, there we go. <laughs> go with what Rick said. So but Tulsa uh, it is at at uh, Oklahoma State, which is coming in le- number eleven, uh ranked eleventh. Uh the Cowboys. Uh Rick, what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, with Oklahoma State last week having to postpone their first game, uh, now this will be their first game of the year. Uh, nobody knows what they look like, but, you know, they still got Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, he was one of the best running backs in the country last year, and I, I think they get a big win. They want to come out because they didn't get to play last week, so now they got that chip on their shoulder, you know, as they say. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's going to be Oklahoma State big. Uh, Adam, what are your thoughts on this game? I I – I love Chuba Hubbard. I think Chuba Hubbard is – he's going to put himself in the Heisman conversation this year. I think he's the 
he's the best back in the country this year. I think um, I think he puts up some pretty eye popping numbers because they're they're going to be ready to ready to roll after missing last week. Guys, the game of the week. I mean, by far, and I know a lot of this has to do with the fact that not a lot of teams are playing. But we got one more game that I want to get to, and that's tonight. And Miami's at Louisville, 17 and 18. Rick, this is going to be the matchup of the week. I actually kind of like Miami this year. And uh, I think Scott Satterfield, the Louisville's head coach, he's in his first year last year, and I thought that he did a decent job. Uh, Louisville's got a shot to uh, actually win seven or eight games in the ACC this year. But I'm taking Miami tonight. Uh, I think it's uh, as much as the, you know, the whole – I'm an Irish fan, you know, the whole Catholics versus convicts thing. Uh, I, I'm really big on Miami this year in the ACC. I mean, not to even come close to winning the conference or anything, but to look real good. But watch out for Louisville this year, too, because Scott Satterfield is one heck of a head coach. So uh, they're going to be uh, making a lot of noise, too. But I got Miami tonight. Adam, um, I actually am going to go the opposite direction. I think Satterfield gets so far the best win that he has had in his young head coaching career at Louisville. Um, last year, he really made some some big improvements. The team looked better across the board, um, and, and I think they get the win here tonight. I'm as someone who lived in Louisville for four years, I know that uh, it's it's a it's a good sports town, and and I. I just I think most of this country kind of hates Miami unless you're a Miami fan, and so I always love seeing Miami lose. <laughs> All right, there you <laughs> go. Well, let's uh, real quickly here, guys, we've got to uh, wrap it up and put a bow on it. Uh, Adam, I'm going to give you the lead on this. Thursday night, uh, the Browns came out and beat uh, the, the Bengals in Joe Burrow's uh, debut. But you would have thought – now, I, I, I know you, Adam, and, 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 and Browns fans are, you know, a lot like Notre Dame fans. They're the loudest people in the room. Next to maybe Steelers fan, I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, you know, you would have thought that maybe if you were to listen to the uh, Twitter and social media of a Browns fan, go ahead and give the MVP to Baker Mayfield and let's go ahead and let's get on into the Super Bowl because you guys beat Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Great game, great win, I give you that, but Joe Burrow's got a great future ahead of him. Yeah, you know, I thought thought Baker had a really good game and uh, I, I thought he had a good game that we've got to build on. Baker played well. The running game was phenomenal. But we can't have a one-game snapshot and then struggle again next week. Um, he's got to show consistency. We have Washington um, in a week and a half, and then we have uh, Dallas followed by the Colts. And I, he's got to string them together. If he can string them together, we've got a good shot. But he has to have that consistency. He can't have a one great game and then one bad game and one great game and one bad game. This is his third year, and he has to get it done period, or we're going to have to find another quarterback. Well, we'll see what happens here coming up in, in week two. And, and uh, Rick, we'll give you a chance to talk about your Detroit Lions in week one real quickly here. But Collins, totally unacceptable. I haven't heard the final uh, punishment uh, passed down for him. But what was he thinking? Yeah, that's ridiculous. And that's typical Lions. 
So, uh, but you know what? They dominated the Bears last week until the last ten minutes of the game. Then he's completely unraveled. They had him down twenty-three to six in the fourth quarter, and then completely unraveled. And now tomorrow they got Green Bay, so they can't have these stupid dumb penalties, these stupid mistakes. They can't unravel against Aaron Rodgers because they'll be the ones down twenty-three to six in the fourth quarter, and the Lions won't come back. So. Uh, that's my thought on the Lions. It, it, it's kind of that the team takes the trades after the head coach. I don't think Matt Patricia is a uh, – uh, I mean, he might have been a, a good enough coordinator under Bill Belichick. So I think every coordinator under Belichick is real good when they're under Bill Belichick. The moment they leave Bill Belichick, though, uh, I just don't think he's NFL ready to be a head coach whatsoever. So the team's traits that take after the head coach, uh, you, you kind of see that. Uh, with the, they're, they're really undisciplined. That's been that's the way they, they've been since I've been a fan, you know. Other than the Wayne Fonts, Barry Sanders years, but uh, after that, it, it's just the same old Lions. So I, I expect them to get rolled tomorrow. I know the Lions like six and a half, and a lot of guys, uh, you know, the NFL experts are saying the Lions are going to keep it close to uh, they'll cover that spread. But I, I don't see it. Not the way that Aaron Rodgers performed last week, and. Uh, and the way the Lions performed that fourth quarter last week, I, I don't see it. So, I think Green Bay is going to roll on them tomorrow. Guys, real quickly, and this is the final word because we got we got to move on. Uh, but I was really disappointed with Indianapolis Colts, and you know, I I was never what that guy on the bandwagon fan. And if if people don't know this, maybe, but outside of Tom Brady, I don't know that there's a quarterback that the Indianapolis fan base hates worse than Philip Rivers, and everybody hated uh, Philip the idea of Philip Rivers coming here. And and I was like, I mean, give the guy a chance. He's a he's a potential Hall of Famer. Uh, and, you know, he's he's within uh, arm's reach of being in the top six who have who uh, uh, the top six quarterbacks are uh, uh, scoring touchdowns up in, in the names of, of Peyton Manning and, and, and others. Um, so even though he, he doesn't have a lot of the uh, super uh, doesn't have the Super Bowl rings and that sort of stuff, I was still giving him the benefit of the doubt. We'll start with you, Adam. Very disappointed, and, and, and I know there was other reasons that the Colts lost, but Adam, Philip Rivers can't have three interceptions in a game against the worst team in the AFC South and expect any different outcome than what happened. Well, I mean, I, I told you this months ago, Tom. I was not a fan of the Philip Rivers signing. I, I said that we should have gone after Cam Newton, gotten a guy that was a couple of years off of his prime, you know, attitude issues, I think, were overblown. Um, he was frustrated in Carolina. He was getting hurt a lot because they refused to invest in the offensive line. And uh, I, and I was not a fan of the Phil Rivers signing from the beginning. He's 38 years old. He's always been a, a high-interception quarterback, and he's got worse these last few years. So does he have to play better? Yeah. Do I hope that he plays better and proves me wrong? Yeah. But – even even two interceptions in a game isn't going to be acceptable because this team has to play clean. Final word goes to you, uh, Philip Rivers, in his debut with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, uh, I was with you, Tom. I, I thought, yeah, I kind of fell into the hype. I thought they would easily win this division this year. Uh, I know Philip Rivers high inter- interception quarterback. I thought maybe he'd come in and maybe a lot more productive at that position uh, than Jacoby Brissett. 
but uh, I did think the one question mark was the receiving core in Indy. So, uh, but I figured Phillip Rivers being a veteran, you know, they get away around that, and I thought they were just hands down going to be the favorite in the uh, in the uh, in the South there. But Houston looked didn't look that great against Kansas City. Uh, I don't know who does right now. Tennessee didn't look that great against Denver. So, uh, I mean, maybe. Maybe they're still the favorites. I know they're 0-1, and Jacksonville's kind of the uh, cream of the crop right now in the South. That's not going to hold up, of course. But uh, we'll see. Uh, I was with you. I, I thought they would actually be uh, a lot better than, the, than what they looked. All right, guys. Uh, we got to call it a, a, a day. Rick Riggin, where can people find your working masterpieces, sir? Yeah, it's just on Twitter, at Riggin underscore Rick. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. Rick Riggin joins us to help break down some Notre Dame football and college football. Adam Jividen, uh I would say where can people find your work in Masterpieces, but you don't have Twitter and you're you're kind of a social media hermit. So I want to think what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, just on Facebook. I'm just I'm a little bit of a social media ghost for for other reasons, but yeah, uh, Facebook is that problem. Adam Jividen. All right, buddy. We appreciate you joining us, man. All right, thanks, Bob. But Adam Jividen, obviously Super Buckeye fan uh, and uh, Super Browns fan, helping us break down the return of of the of the NFL. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. We'll be right back. We're going to get into some NASCAR talk with Steve Wilson for Speedway Digest. Also uh, on slate to join us is Tony Donahue uh, from the Tony D Podcast. going to help us break down the IndyCar. All coming up on the other side. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. Okay, okay. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. 
Welcome back to the Balance One Hour in the Books. Thanks to Mo for the BS Sports Show, help us kick off things. And uh, Rick Riggin and Adam Jivett in the last segment uh, talking with us about the return of Big Ten football and college football, and certainly some Notre Dame and Ohio State uh, uh, football. But joining us now is two of the greatest racing minds in the world to help us cover NASCAR and IndyCar is Steve Wilson for Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, and Tony Donahue from the Tony D Podcast joins us to help us break down some Indy cars. So we're going to be kind of be doing a, a dual race here so we can get every everything in here. Uh, but how are you doing, Mr. Tony? How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. How are we doing? Hey, fantastic. Ready to rock and roll. And I want to get into this and uh, IndyCar talk with you as well. But Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of SpeedwayDigest.com. Bristol, baby. Bristol, baby. It is Bristol weekend. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be breaking that down. So we'll start with you, Steve. Uh, talk with us a little bit about the action in Bristol this weekend. Well, I was already uh, kicked up in the last two days with truck series, and then last night was kind of extended series. So um, we got 500 laps around Bristol tonight, and uh, cut off uh, the Xfinity series. I mean, uh, the the regular season for Xfinity last night, and uh, the first round of uh, the playoffs and the Cup series. We're gonna kick a couple of people off later on tonight, so uh, a lot of stuff already going on out there. Tony, let's uh, get in some IndyCar talk here in just a second. But as we look at the Bristol weekend, what are your thoughts? I know you use cover NASCAR. A lot as well. Yeah, I'm actually uh, heading out to Winchester right now to go to the ARCA race, which is crazy because, as Steve mentioned, you know, you had so much action in Bristol. ARCA went green on Thursday night at about 9.30, and then a quick turnaround to get to Winchester, Indiana. So it would be interesting to see uh, some of the young names that uh, come to mind, like Sam Mayer, who won the ARCA race Thursday night, then backed it up with – or won the truck race Thursday night, then backed it up with an ARCA win right after it. Uh, he's the guy that's going to junior motorsports next year. He's been he's been tearing it up on on both the truck and the ARCA side. My guy Chase Briscoe gets a win last night. Uh, uses uses that bump and run like Dale Earnhardt and Terry Labonte used to do in the '90s. So yeah. I'm looking forward to tonight. And uh, you know I I kind of expect a Chase sweep for the weekend. I'm I'm picking Chase Elliott tonight. You know that's a great pick, and I like Chase Elliott. Uh, I. Steve, talk with us a little bit about tonight's race and in, in, in one of our horses, the dark horses, but Chase Elliott is, is, is a, a, a great, solid pick there. Yeah, I think he's a pretty good pick for going into it, but you take a look and you look at what Kyle Busch and Kurt Busch have both done over there at Bristol in, in the last couple of seasons. Kurt just won there two years ago. Um, Kyle is He's won everything that's ever been put on that track, so I don't think you can count either one of them out later on tonight. And um, there's just a lot of short track racers out there. You look at Matt Benedetto, who a couple of years ago, um, driving for an underfunded team over at BK Racing, was able to take a and come in there and get a top five finish for them. And uh, I know that he's uh, seeking uh, to, to stay in the playoffs, and he's got to do something big tonight in order to do so, and uh, maybe uh, and maybe get some stage points later on tonight. Maybe back it up with a top three, top five, and uh, hope for some bad luck from some others like Blaney and 
that's also there there at the bottom of the the point standings right now. That's trying to make it make his way in, and uh, um, you know, I, I would look me as a dark horse. Look at Matt Benedetto just for what he's been able to do with the Wood Brothers this season, and uh, kind of get them back into a more performance mode. And uh, uh, just like I said a couple of years ago, he uh, was able to uh, get that top five finish for an underfunded team. So uh, as a dark horse. Uh, Maybe look at him and uh, uh, the Bush brothers have like I said, have always been uh, pretty strong, pretty stout there. So uh, it'll be a good race later on tonight. And NASCAR went and put some more PJ1 down at the bottom of the track, to try and get some more grip. And uh, they they seem to not be trying to create a second through, which is uh, creating what uh, you know last night happened with between. Chase Briscoe and uh, bumping around and going out there for the lead, so it kind of hogs that bottom lane and doesn't really give too many chances to run up high, so it means you're going to have to move people out of the way. Tony, let's talk a little bit about IndyCar. Big news from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway yesterday. They're going to say, hey, let's try this again. Uh, We've been there, done that, but they're going to allow some fans, not, certainly not a full capacity, into the, the fall harvest in October, which is the next race coming up for IndyCar. And you and I have talked about this possibility, but you kind of said, I can't see that happening. Because I, I think I asked you, I said, do you think that we'll have fans to the October uh, race? And you said, I, I don't, I don't uh, see that happening, but it looks like it's going to happen now. And what happens, I guess, if they have to backpedal again and just – Let's hope that it goes all the way through, but it certainly it was some positive news that we saw from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway yesterday. Yeah, real quick, I'm going to go back to Steve's point about a, a dark sure. horse. Go I ahead. like the Matt because uh, you know, that, that 21 car, as we know, is an extension of Penske, but to kind of go one step further than that, I'm not going to call a win, but a guy that can certainly finish in the top five in the surprise to would be Christopher Bell. He's in that exact car that Matthew Benedetto drove to a, two, to a second-place finish at Bristol a few years ago. Christopher Bell is a rookie. Has had some good runs, especially on the short tracks. And he kind of tends to fly under the radar because Tyler Reddick's having such a good season. And we know Cole Custer got that win at Kentucky. Um, but I like uh, Christopher Bell. got a short track guy who knows how to get around. He you know, came to the USAC ranks. So short tracks are right up his, uh, right up his alley. So looking forward to see what uh, Christopher Bell can do tonight. As far as IndyCar goes, I mean, here's exactly what changed since the last time we talked, Tom, was the fact that the Colts were allowed to have 2,500 fans. And then it was announced earlier in the week, I believe on Tuesday, that the Colts are going to be allowed to have 7,500 fans to their second home game, which is next week. So if you're the Speedway, you're going, well, wait a minute. You know, they're allowed to have 7,500 people. Why aren't we allowed to, in a monstrous facility like we have at Indianapolis Florida Speedway, where we can, you know, utilize the infield and we can also utilize a lot of the bleachers on the outside of the track. Why aren't we allowed to have 8,000, 10,000 people? So um, I kind of got wind of it on Wednesday that that was a possibility. I kind of tweeted it out saying, hey, they might allow it to 10,000. Now, they say they're going to allow it to 10,000, which is great. But at the end of the day, with that first Harvest Grand Prix being on Friday afternoon with a 345 green flag, uh, I just don't see any way that they get that many, that many uh, fans for that race. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, it's exciting to know that we're going to be able to be able to go out there, enjoy the race, and uh, celebrate my birthday. <laughs> what? Well, and, and what's your birthday? My birthday is October the eighth, so it's the following. Okay. 
I've linked the post on October twenty third. So yeah, <laughs> well, I, think, I think for this week for this year alone, because you know twenty twenty is just up in the air and an absolute crapshoot logjam. That I'm going to declare the fact that I'm allowed to move up my birthday one week to celebrate it at the at the world's greatest race course, I was an IndyCar race. I love it. I, I I'm, I'm right there with you, Steve. Let's talk about last week there at Richmond. I know that's your home track, and I know you were there at that race. Uh, but we saw that some NASCAR crew chiefs were fined for that lug nut violation, and we haven't seen that at all this year. And we saw it very rarely last year, but the year before when it came out, we saw a lot more of it. What what's going on with the nuts, brother? <laughs> I had I, I had to go there, man. I had to go there. Well, you know, it's it's just a you know these teams have become more mindful in the fact that they, I mean, a lot of this just stemmed from years ago when NASCAR just you know said, look, you know, you guys just please your own lug nuts and whatever, and they found that teams were starting to go from hitting all the lugs, you know, down to hitting only three, and then they found some teams hitting only two, and you know they became the came to the point that they figured that this is a little too dangerous and, uh, you know, don't want any flying tires coming off these cars in, in the, uh, you know, middle of the race and, you know, damaging somebody else's uh, car or, you know, whatever the case may be. So the institute this policy to make sure that all the lugs are, are locked in place at the end of the race and, you know, where, you know, I'm sure we probably do have some teams out there probably skirting that role in the middle of the race where NASCAR isn't looking particularly, but, um, you know, at the end of the race, you know, they are checking these things, so they make sure that that last set of tires that are going on that car, and they're making sure, and, you know, they, there's variables that go into this, you know, sometimes they don't get these things 100%, you know, we always hear about the loose tires and things like that during the middle of the race, and, uh, you know, they, they just, you know, these, these lugs are backing off um, and, you know, whether that's a product of them not getting 100% locked in place or, you know, them trying to skirt the rules a little bit, thinking that they're going to come back in uh, for another pit stop at the end of the race and uh, it ends up going green or whatever the case may be, but, you know, there's, it's, you know, this is just really just a safety thing and, you know, they, you know, they they should be locking them into place, and I'm not accusing anybody of doing anything nefarious, but, you know, we've, we've seen in the past what teams have tried to do just to kind of skirt those rules, or even when NASCAR has, uh, you know, kind of given them a little bit of policing power on their own, and, you know, it's, it's NASCAR's just, you know, gotten, like I said, to the point where they're making sure that these lugs are in place for safety issues, and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find $10,000 or, you know, Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, you know, depending on how many, you know, these lugs are, you know, missing or not tightened down at the end of the race. Well, it's it, it just seemed kind of odd that we're seeing that that uh, that penalty coming back up. It seemed like it, it that they, teams had had that under control. Tony Donahue from the Tony D podcast joins us. Tony, let's talk a little bit about uh, IndyCar and Andretti comes to mind, and and I think about the success that that, um, it, you know, with Colton Herta and so forth, it seems like uh, it seems like that Alexander Rossi seems to be disappearing from the limelight of the Andretti name. Um, I would disagree with that, seeing as he finished on the podium twice last weekend. 
Um, I think what was surrounding Andretti going into the 500, obviously Marco puts it on the pole, but the performance in the race just wasn't there for Andretti Autosport. And you get all of the discussion going on, okay, um, Zach Veach, what's he going to be doing? Is Gainbridge going to re-up with Zach Veach? Are they going to re-up with the with a driver that can put them in victory circle? Is Ryan hunter Ray going to come back? We know Colton Hurd is the next guy waiting in their wings that can uh, that is going to you know continue to progress. So, I mean, you look at the consistency. Alexander Rossi has had great runs and has had speed and pace. He's just had really, really bad luck. At Indy, he gets that crap penalty in the pits, which puts him back into the field. And when your car set up to be in the top five, you know, you got to adjust it when you're back in 16th, 17th position. And, you know, it just it didn't work out for him there. Then he had the bad luck at St. Louis on lap one. And then the second race at St. Louis, he was just kind of floating around. But then he comes back with a strong performance, a second and a third at Mid-Ohio. And both those races, uh, Andretti Autosport kind of silenced the critics saying, hey, what's going on? Why is this team not doing as good as what they should be? They back it up with uh, a sweep of the podium for the first time since, I believe, 2006, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was 2005 uh, with Colton Herta winning Alexander Rossi second and then Ryan hunter Ray. So um, you, you kind of know what Marco Andretti is. He's not really going to give you much, but it's easier to grab a sponsor when there's a guy with the name Andretti in the cockpit. And when he's got part ownership on that car, um, you know, he's, he's going to be in that car as long as he wants to be. So we'll see if, one, Zach Beach is on the move and they go and get somebody else, or, two, do they look at a Tony Kanaan and say, hey, we want to have you for three or four races if you could bring sponsorship. I think that's certainly something Andretti can move forward and doing in 2021. Yeah, well, no, I totally agree with you, but it just it just seems like we're having more attention on Colton Herta. And real quickly here before we get back to the NASCAR talk, there's talk about Colton Hurtis looking at Formula One. Is he looking at doing both both series? That looks like that'd be kind of hard to do. That he it looks like he'd have to pick one over the other. And I know that he's wanted to run uh, Formula One for a while. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I I don't mind it at all. I mean, he's got the talent to do so. The problem is, is in the back of his brain is always going to be Americans just haven't succeeded in Formula One, and if you need any more of an example of that, just ask your boss, Michael Andretti, who went over there in 1993 <laughs> and had one podium finish, I believe, um, and just kind of struggled, had a few bad accidents. Um, look, I mean, I and, it, and if Colton Herta wants to go run Formula One, he absolutely should go run Formula One. He's got the talent to do it, and that's a rare once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Like Michael Andretti said, you know, I can always come back to IndyCar. I can always come back and be competitive in an IndyCar because I have that talent. Why not go make a boat ton of money and try it in Formula One? Um, it's certainly something that I think he should try if he gets the opportunity to do so. Um, even if he goes, I mean, look, it's hard to win in Formula One. Even if he goes over there and just learns, 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 and comes back, he could be a more dominant driver in IndyCar. Look at like Juan Pablo Montoya, Marcus Erickson, um, Felix Rosenquist. Some of these guys, you know, Takuma Sato with Formula One experience, you can't duplicate that, and that's huge for your driving career in IndyCar. Um, so I think if he wants to go do it, he absolutely should. And I don't think if Mike, if he knocks on Michael Andretti's door and says, Hey, I want to go to Formula One, Michael Andretti is probably going to be supportive of that. Yeah. And I think it's a good opportunity for me. It's just an interesting to, uh, concept to, to hear that, especially since he's doing so well in IndyCar. Uh, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, uh, editor in chief of Speedway Digest. I, we were having a hard time hearing you, so hopefully you can hear us okay. 
Big news coming out, or at least we talk about the rumor mill. Kyle Larson appears to be the leading candidate to replace Jimmy Johnson at Hendricks Motorsports. Now, there's two sides to this. I'm all for Kyle Larson racing NASCAR. I was really kind of a – I felt like that maybe he made a mistake, had poor judgment. We've all, we've all done that at some point in our life. I feel like that he, he paid a stiff penalty. But is sponsored – Ship ready for Kyle Larson. That was a pretty significant penalty, and certainly I won't use the word, but it was certainly a significant thing, an event, and especially in today's environment. Is it really too premature for Hendricks Motorsport or any team to be considering the return of Kyle Larson? I know he's been doing very well in the world of outlaws. And he seems to be having to get a large fan base there. But, again, Kyle Larson appears to be the leading candidate to replace Jimmy Johnson at Hendricks uh, Motorsports. What are your thoughts on that, Steve? Well, I mean, he's won 38-39 events since he was suspended by NASCAR. So, uh, you know, he's he's been racking them up a couple of weeks at this point. Um, but to the point... Um, you know, I always felt like that penalty was a little bit stiff. I felt like the, he got canceled over something. You know, we, we've all said stupid things that we've regretted in the moment or just said stupid things in passing that we didn't realize that we had said it until somebody points it out later on. Um, you know, I, I just think with I just think with Carl Larson, I think that, you know, uh, for a series that has been promoting diversity, uh, for a lot, for a couple of years, um, and especially you know here recently with Bubba Wallace, um, you know with with what's been going on with him, um, you know Kyle Larson was the only other diversity or minority that was in the Cup Series, and I mean he was effectively, uh, you know, tossed to the side over, um, you know, just a simple mistake that. You know, again, he said something stupid. You know, we've we've had other people in the series that have said the similar word, and they receive less or 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 not as harsh penalties. Um, we had an Xfinity Series driver do it several years ago. Granted, he owns his own team, but he was back within a matter of weeks, and I don't think that anybody has thought twice about it since. But Carl Larson was just totally disregarded and thrown to the side. So I, I I think that he, you know, again, he should have been suspended. He should have gone through the sensitivity training that NASCAR requires you to go through. Um, I'm all for that. But just to be totally thrown out of the car and had every sponsor turn their back on him, um, I think was um, you know, counterproductive in the whole drive for diversity that NASCAR has tried to um, really promote in the last couple of years. And I think that, you know, it, it was, you know, NASCAR could have helped in this situation to kind of stem the tide of that and said, look, well, you know, we're taking care of this, give us an opportunity. But um, for him to go to the 48 or another team, um, I, I if, if Kyle Larson is ready and he says that he'd like to come back, I'm all for it. Well, coming back. Let's get the final word to Tony Donahue here. As we're about out of time here, uh, but Tony Donahue for the Tony D podcast. And, and, you know, playing the whole 
card. We, we remember that the Colts uh, announcer, uh, Lamey, had this situation very, very similar to this, and his entire career was ended. But he was on the verge of retirement anyway. But there was also uh, Connor Daly's dad was involved in that. And there was a whole big series of things. And this was over something that was said years ago that happened to come out. And so I, I, I'm very sensitive to the word. So don't get me wrong. I'm certainly not saying that that word should be used. But the word was used. But don't, do we have different judges and different uh, rules for different people, uh, Tony, uh, as Steve pointed out, that other people have done this and had far less punishment to them. And believe me, Kyle was wrong for using that word. Lamey was wrong for using that word. But when we put the two and two together, it certainly looks like there's, there's some people just the, gets crucified and other people get like, well, you should have said it. Don't do that anymore. What are your thoughts, Tony? Yeah, I, I'm kind of with Steve. I think that if he does come back, which I believe everybody deserves a second chance, and I don't condone the word at all, and it just kind of slipped, but it was seemed to be at the very front of his his brain. Uh, with that being said, everybody does deserve a second chance. And I would say this, if he comes back and, and he proves in the spotlight, in the public eye that he's gone through sensitivity training and he apologizes, maybe makes a donation to you know a Black Lives Matter campaign – and gets with Bubba Wallace and smooths things over, I think people will forget about this. At the end of the day, it's going to end up being about can he win races, and we know that he can. And when he's in that 40, if he's in that 48 car, I think it's going to be something that is going to be huge for not only himself and his short track fans, but I think for Hendrick Motorsports as well. So, um, yeah, I think he deserves a second chance. We, he's proven that he can get it done. He's a heck of a race car driver. So we'll see if uh, you know he's able to get in on that 48 car and if people are willing to forgive him and – um, kind of give him a second chance, which I believe he deserves because he's an excellent talent in any form of racing that he's in. Now, I would like for him to maybe wait one year and then come run any 500, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think he deserves to come back, too. I think we're all in agreement on that. All right, guys, we've got to wrap it up put a bow on it. Tony, where can people find your work in Masterpieces? Can I get an 18 on Pump 5? Uh, Tony D. Uh, Indy on Twitter, TD Indy 24 on Instagram. Check out my podcast as well. I love your podcast, man. You're doing a great job with it. Thanks. All right. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Tony Donahue of the Tony G Podcast joining us up and write down some IndyCar. And um, real real quickly, um, while we're kind of talking about what's going on here with this, uh, Steve, before I let you go, any word on where Bubba Wallace is going to end up at? Because we know that that he's going to be leaving uh, Kyle Petty. Steve, can you hear us? Yeah, sorry, I was changing my headphones over, <laughs> so hopefully you can hear me. <laughs> sorry. Um, um, no, well, you know, at one point there was a consideration of him potentially going in the 42 car because it doesn't look like Kenzie wants to come back next year, um, but that um, but that offer uh, per the AP has been pulled off the table. Now that's not to say that they can't go back and you know look at the offer again or something like that. But as of right now, that offer's been pulled off the table. Um, I, I I don't know where he goes. I know there continues to be swirling rumors around the fact that um, that uh, Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin are are looking at potentially buying an underfunded team and um, fielding the car. Um, 
with support from, you know, Jordan Brands and um, some of the other sponsors that, that, that Bubba Wallace has bought in, but so far that, that hasn't seemed to go, go anywhere or, you know, any traction to that other than just some swirling rumors. And I know um, NASCAR, NASCAR has said that they'd be okay with this um, so long as Denny Hamlin can prove that it wasn't a satellite car for um, JGR, so I don't know where he goes next year. Uh, I think it'll be, um, I, I just don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> All right, Steve, we appreciate you joining us. A happy race weekend. We'll see what happens there in, in Bristol uh, this weekend. Uh, where can people find your work and masterpieces, sir? You follow us on Twitter at Speedway Digest, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. Thanks, Steve. Have yourself a good weekend, sir. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, Editor-in-Chief of SpeedwayDigest.com uh, uh, and our official NASCAR contributor. Appreciate him joining us, as well as uh, Tony Donahue, breaking down some IndyCar action. Good to hear that cars are going to be back on the track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. My name's Tom Mark. What's right on the other side is Ed Kraft, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NASCAR contributor. We we had an opportunity to catch up with him yesterday as they're a home opener in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financials this weekend. He's got a lot going on, uh, but he did catch up with us yesterday, and we put him in the can, as they say. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barber shark quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mates. Ow, they're one of my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. 
And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Blog Talk Radio. All right, and welcome back to the balance, the final quarter of the show. Thanks to Mo from the BS Sports Show for joining us and, and talking about some of the crazy stuff and the crazy world of sports that we're in. But hey, we got football back. We're, we're going to be talking here in just a minute with Ed Kratz, uh, standing by in the balance the green room, uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and our official NFL contributor. Thanks also to Super Browns fan and Super Ohio State fan Adam Dividend uh, for talking with us what about that win against the Browns, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute as well. I mean, that win for the Browns. Talk about that in just a, a minute. At least somebody got to get their home opener uh, when and Rick Reagan also joined us to talk some Notre Dame football. Looks like Big Ten is back because we had a conversation about that. And also uh, uh, Tony Donahue joined us to talk some IndyCar with us. But joining us now via tape, but we appreciate you taking some time to, to tape with us today so that we could get you on the show uh today so you're in what we call a tape delay mode right now so <laughs> okay <laughs> I, can, I can edit anything that's said no i'm just kidding i would never it's edit like a virtual, anything virtual reality that's yeah. right so i appreciate you taking some time i know it's your home opener there in philadelphia and you you had some other things in, in the fire that you couldn't join us live but we do appreciate you taking some time uh to talk with us today you know let's talk about that loss with against uh, washington Above all teams against Washington, but, you know, I don't have any room to talk. The um, Indianapolis Colts and Phillip Rivers upchucked and upchucked and upchucked. They tried so hard to lose that game, they actually beat themselves. We'll get into the Colts in just a minute. But I tell you what, you got your home opener this weekend. uh, So I know you got to be motivated. you got to have fans in the stands. No. No fans? No fans? Okay. No, no, No fans, no. Well, will they be allowed be, to tailgate? Uh, strange. No tailgating. No fit. They're wow. closing down. You know, just about every single road around the stadium and around the parking lots. I'm not even sure how I'm going to get in the game. I hope my my press pass and my parking pass gets me, you know, through the barricades they're going to have set up. Oh my you can't even tailgate. So yeah, it, it's going to be. The Colts are allowing fans to tailgate at a at a distance part and in. in it's actually in lots that aren't owned by the by the Colts. So any lots that's not owned by the Colts, and they're, but they're also allowing uh, a limited amount of fans into the game as well. So oh. you know, it looks like it would be Good. easier for you guys to have uh, fans in the stands because you're an outdoor stadium. It just looks like that that would be a natural uh, distancing thing. But let's go ahead and, and talk about the loss to Washington. Um, you know, an unfortunate turnover, I guess maybe we could say, was the the the, the root of the evil of that game. Uh, just uh, break us through the X's and O's on, on the loss on the road on your first game against Washington. Yeah, well, I think three things come to mind. First of all, the sloppy and careless play of Carson Wentz. Those two interceptions that he threw that really turned the game around. Um, and that was really the only way the Redskins – I'm sorry, Washington could uh, <laughs> move the ball. <laughs> 
was uh, was with mistakes. It's crazy because the Washington's longest scoring drive was 48 yards. You know, they scored three touchdowns, and their drive covered 48 yards, 45 yards, and 20 yards. So, you know, those were the mistakes that Wentz made. And uh, two, to me, sloppy passes, uh, out-type patterns that he threw to rookies. Now you could say, well, you know, Jalen Rager and John Hightower should have become defensive backs. But listen, they're rookies. This is Wentz's fifth year. Um, he's got to be better. Uh, so Wentz jumps out. Secondly, the pressure that he was under, he was sacked eight times. Now, uh, you know, Lane Johnson, the right tackle, was ruled out 90 minutes before kickoff. Um, that didn't help. So the right side of their line, they were playing a 22-year-old right guard who was an undrafted uh, free agent out of Stanford last year. It was his first NFL start. And then their right tackle was a 23-year-old rookie, fifth-round pick from Auburn, Jack Driscoll. Uh, it's not all the line's fault. Went holds the ball way too long. The running backs were terrible in pass pro, uh, and it led to eight sacks. But the third part of the equation is the the game plan Doug Peterson devised, which to me, I just don't get it. I don't understand what the game plan was. There were no designed rollouts to get Wentz away from the pressure. He abandoned the run. They're up 17 to nothing, uh, and they're not running the ball. I know they're probably not successful running the, the ball, but still, you have to run the ball limit mistakes your quarterback is being uh, knocked on his butt every time he goes back to pass there was no runs he ran the ball 17 times Doug Peterson so those three factors are a big reason I think why they lost to Washington last week well and I saw your tweet too but I also saw just the uh, um, upset fan base and they're already talking about Doug Peterson being on the hot seat and we're only one game in <laughs> let's hope it doesn't get any worse for him well, that's how it is in Philadelphia, a very cynical city. You know, he won a Super Bowl just three years ago. But, you know, there were sources that went on the, uh, you know, some podcast, uh, an NFL-sponsored podcast that mentioned that, you know, he's kind of at his limit. He's stressed out. And, you know, I'll tell you, we Zoomed with Doug on Wednesday, and he looked exhausted, uh, did not look well. It looked like he kind of maybe was up all night, probably didn't even leave the facility, may have slept a couple hours here and there on the couch or in a chair. Uh, he just didn't look good. So, I mean, there might be a little something to it, but, you know, listen, one game, um, a coach who's taken this team to the playoffs three straight years, uh, who's won two NFC East titles, you know, this is his fifth year, so in four years he's won two division crowns, won a Super Bowl. Um, it almost sounded like it wasn't he was in jeopardy of losing his job from his higher-ups, but it almost sounded like he was just resigned and, and just kind of maybe burned out and that he would resign. So, uh, that's kind of how it made it sound to me, and uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. You know, there's still 15 weeks to go. But if this comes off the rails uh, quickly, then we'll see what happens with Doug. Well, I saw a tweet from one of your uh, uh, competitors over at ESPN, uh, Tim McManus, uh, said that Miles Sanders says he's 100% healthy uh, to play, and we know that he had a hamstring issue uh, in, in the Washington game. Uh, is he off the injury list? And certainly he's a, he's a key part of your running game. Yeah, he practiced all week. We just had a Zoom interview with him uh, Friday afternoon, uh, and he said he's playing. So he's playing, and he was asked, to, do you think his, uh, his touches or his snaps will be limited? Because, you know, he's a guy who hasn't done anything in a month. I mean, what kind of shape is he? And he had a hamstring injury. How much conditioning was he able to do? But he was asked that question, and he said he hopes not. So he's hoping that he has a full role. Um, and, you know, one thing about Miles, in addition to his pass catching and his running that, you know, kind of put him in the rookie of the year conversation last year is his pass blocking. 
Um, that was a big issue with the run, running backs that the Eagles brought out there on Sunday in Washington. It was Boston Scott and Corey Clement really showed no interest in, in blocking anybody. And Washington's blitzes really hurt the Eagles, especially up the middle. So that's where you hope Sanders can make a difference, too, is in the past pro. Well, you got the home opener uh, there at Lincoln Financial Field on lockdown, if you will. And I, I saw a tweet uh, uh, from somebody within a Philadelphia organization or the city that said that to, to take this very seriously and that you're on notice. So uh, they, they, I guess they're going to be issuing citations and maybe even possible arrests if, if people violate this. So it is something that people have to take seriously. But inside Lincoln Financial Stadium, even as weird as it might be without fans, you got the L.A. Rams uh, coming into town. Let's talk about that game. Yeah, uh, well, you got it starts with Aaron Donald. Uh, you know, he's a game wrecker. We saw what he did against the Cowboys in their opener. He hit, the, hit Dak Prescott four times, got a sack. Uh, and now you're looking at uh, Nate Herbig, who is that 22-year-old right guard I mentioned uh, earlier here. Uh, he's going to be making his second start. And even though the Rams like to move Donald around, up front, uh, I think they're going to try to exploit that matchup against Herbig, and, you know, good luck to him because uh, Donald's a beast. Um, so the Eagles are going to have to try to keep things away from him. But, you know, that said, the Eagles have played Donald-led teams three times previously, and they're 3-0 and against the Rams in those games, and Donald still ha- doesn't have a sack against any of the Eagles' quarterbacks in those games. So, you know, historically they've done a good job with him, but, you know, that was when Brandon Brooks, you know, the pro bowl, all pro right guard was healthy. Uh, now he's not. So, you know, you're really going to have to take care of him. And then on the defensive side of the ball for the Eagles, they're, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Sean McVay likes to use a lot of pre-snap motion stuff and move guys around and loves to control tempo and, misdirection stuff so the Eagles are going to have to be disciplined uh, with the rise they're going to have to make sure that they're set up properly before the ball is snapped and know where the Rams might go with the ball so it's a big test Uh, you know the Rams were in the Super Bowl just two years ago a little bit of a down year last year but they're coming in off a great start against a pretty good Dallas team we're talking with Ed Kratz beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com and our official NFL contributor. Uh, we're doing a, a pre-record t- uh, this afternoon uh, because I know Ed couldn't join us for the live show. So we appreciate you joining us. Well, I also had a disappointing week last week and that, that was, you know, a very disappointing loss down in Jacksonville. Jacksonville was probably uh, thought on paper anyway to be the, the worst team in the AFC we were certainly uh, billed to be one of the best teams in the AFC. We talked about how how great our offensive line is, but we still had situations that arose and arose rather quickly. I mean, at first, I mean that first touchdown pass by Philip Rivers to Naheem Hines, we're like seamless, perfect. And I was like, yeah, see, fans don't have anything to worry about because what a lot of people might not know that's not in this market. There's only one person they hate more than Tom Brady, and that's Phillip Rivers. And so uh, the the social media was going crazy, as you can imagine, by the end of that game. And they beat themselves. I don't want to put everything on Phillip Rivers, but he is the captain of the team. With him came a lot of of pressure in that quarterback position that we've been struggling with for the last uh, few years. So first of all, let's talk about Phillip Rivers' performance. And, you know, anytime you get three interceptions, uh, we can say, well, they did have an offseason. They just they, they, he was still rusty from the offseason. All kinds of things we can say. It doesn't really matter. You're still paid a lot of money to go play football and three interceptions in one game at, and, and to a loss to a mediocre at best team is totally unacceptable from the fans' perspective. 
And, you know, as they should have, as he should have, he certainly got got uh, got crucified on social media and local uh, radio here in Indianapolis. Yeah, well, you know, I never thought I'd see the day when Gardner Minshew outplays Philip Rivers, no matter how old Philip Rivers is. Exactly. You know, yeah, I mean, Minshew only one ball hit the ground when he threw it, right? I think he was 19 for 20, three touchdowns. I mean, you know, come on, who, who's working the secondary there? I mean, you, you got to do a better job breaking up some passes or covering the receivers there. But, um, yeah, Phillip Rivers, listen, the quarterbacks get all the blame when they lose and all the credit when teams win. So, I mean, I don't think it was misplaced in this situation. But, you know, even that said, you look, look at Frank Reich, and, you know, he has Rivers throwing the ball, what, 46 times in that game? And, uh, you know, only ran it 22 times. Uh, I think you want to bring that a little bit more in balance. Um, and, and it was the same with the Eagles when they lost. They ran the, or, yeah, they ran the ball 17 times and went through 42 passes and was sacked eight times. So he dropped back 50 times. I mean, that's just, you know, that to me is not a recipe for victory unless you're, you know, Joe Montana or Tom Brady even, you know, <laughs> you got to run the ball. And I know running the ball is kind of passe and it's not exciting. And it's, you know, it's kind of boring to watch, you know, a cloud of dust in three yards, but listen, it's effective and it makes the quarterback play even more effective if you can run the football and you can do more play action stuff. So um, let's see what Rivers does again. It's early. Same with Wentz. Didn't play a good game, but listen, one game, uh, it really stinks to have lost to that team. That looked like kind of a layup game against Jacksonville, and now you, you got a big test on, on Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you know, they're coming in off a loss, and there's a, a lot of expectations in Minnesota uh, to get into the playoffs and make a Super Bowl run, just like there were in Indianapolis. But, you know, one of these teams is going to come out 0-2, uh, and you just hope, you know, from your perspective, Tom, it's not the Colts. Yeah, because statistically uh, that's not a good spot to come back from. Uh, to, to get into the playoffs. So it's certainly not a must win, but it is a win that we must win, if that, if that makes sense. And then there, there was just other situations that were completely avoidable. I mean, the penalties that we got ourselves in was just incredibly crazy. The Colts, Paris Campbell, rookie, I understand that, that, that you know, everybody wants to show their stuff, okay? He got his first real tackle in the NFL, and got up and started beating his chest and, you know, doing the muscle things and getting in the face of the Jacksonville player. And, and, uh, because, and the rest saw it and, and called a taunting call. It got, they, they cost us 15 yards. We were almost in the red zone at that point. The, the pass interference call. So, I mean, we beat ourselves. It wasn't just, it wasn't just um, Phillip Rivers. And we've got some injuries now on, on the off- offensive side. And I just saw where Jack Doyle uh, tied in. Is it certainly going to, be a key target for Philip Rivers this year uh, is, uh, is is rolled out for this weekend's game. So, uh, you know, that's another man down, if you will, but then it also means another man up. So certainly they got the Minnesota Vikings uh, on the road to Minnesota. No, are we at home? My brain is fried. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, Our home, home I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Let's talk about another quarterback story of the week. And that was Tom Brady had a pitiful game, and Bruce Arians uh, did not hold back any punches. If you saw the interviews in the media with Bruce Arians, and you know, I, I, like we we joked about, but everybody thought that um, Tom Brady. That means, hey, we we don't even have to play the game. We just give us the Vin, uh, the Vince Lombardi Trophy, and we'll go on about our season, uh, on about our year. And Tom Brady looked terrible. So does, does that point to the fact that he's just you know, 
like we've talked about other quarterbacks having a bad first week, or is this a a deeper thing where he was better coached in New England than he is at Tampa Bay with Bruce Arian, and if he doesn't have a good coach, can he carry a team? That question is still to be answered, but what what are your grades on, on Tom Brady and your thoughts on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Well, father time is always undefeated, and Brady's 43 years old now, just turned 43, I think, in August. Um, eventually, eventually that's going to catch up to him, and you wonder if, you know, maybe this wasn't, you know, the first sign that, you know, father time is, is catching up to him. I don't know. I mean, it was it was a very pedestrian outing for Brady. He threw two interceptions, not good. Um but I think, you know, they didn't run the ball again. Running the ball is the key to some success, and they didn't do it out of that. Uh, Gronkowski, you know, you wondered what he had left and uh, after coming off several concussions, and he really didn't do anything. I mean, this to me, Tom, looks like a dream team type of situation that we saw here in Philadelphia when the Eagles went out and signed, you know, Vince Young and all these, you know, terrific players back in 2011. You know, and that's what the Bucks did. You know, they got Brady, they got Gronkowski, they got Fournette. Uh, you know, they signed all these guys. And now it's a matter of making it work without any offseason, preseason. Uh, and that and that's up to uh, Bruce Arians to pull that together. And, you know, he went out and criticized Tom Brady. You never saw Bill Belichick calling out Brady in public. He would do it behind the scenes in film study and in meeting rooms, but he would never call out Brady publicly. So, you know, Arians – uh, you know, he likes to come out and do that stuff. And But, you, you know, you risk losing some of your team. And a guy like Brady, 43 years old, who's been around for, you know, 110 years, whatever whatever it's been, I mean, I don't know how he's going to handle this. I don't know how yeah. he's going to handle it. Um, you know, and we're going to – I mean, look, the Saints are a really good team. I think I had them in the Super Bowl uh, representing the NFC this season. Drew Brees' last draw, I think he goes out on top. Uh, it would be a great story. But I just think that uh, – you know, that's a tough team. Let's see how uh, the Bucks settle in now. They have a week of practice. They have a game under the belt. Uh, let's see how they do. I'm not sure who they're playing. Are they playing maybe Atlanta? Is that who they're uh, playing? I, I can't. Uh, uh, really Buccaneers sure. are playing uh, the Panthers. The Buccaneers are playing the Panthers this week. Oh, the Panthers. Yeah, so there you go. And it's, a, and it's their home opener. And, um, you know, that Tampa Bay region is energized with Brady and Gronkowski. You know, there's probably going to be a ton of Brady jerseys. Uh, in that, uh, you know, in the well, I don't know if they're having fans, but uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of Brady jerseys in Tampa at some point this year. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be, you know, this is a game the Bucks should win. They should get back on track with this win, and we'll see what Brady can do to get them uh, pointed in that direction. Because Carolina, um, you know, they're still kind of a work in progress, uh, breaking in Teddy Bridgewater, new head coach, and Matt Rule. So we'll see what what Bruce Arians has in store for him this week. Well, on the other hand, talking about uh, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, uh, Cam Newton, uh, another aging quarterback, went out there and showed that uh, he could he could do very well under Bill Belichick. Yeah, I mean, he, he they had, you know, he looked like the Cam Newton of, you know, his MVP year back a few years ago. He was healthy. He ran the ball a lot. He threw the ball. I mean, he controlled that game. And, uh, listen, you know, the Dolphins aren't in any great shape. That was kind of a layup game, just like the Jags should have been for the Colts. So you have to give some credit uh, to Belichick winning that game. Um, again, a big emphasis on the run game in there. Uh, they really did a lot of running. A lot of that was from Cam Newton. But, uh, uh, you know, that was good. And it's interesting to see now as Belichick and Brady begin to separate themselves 
we always talk about who's more responsible for the success of that dynasty in New England. Was it Brady or was it Belichick? And, you know, here we are, Brady's 0-1 and Belichick's 0-2. But um, I don't – I think they have a pretty good game this week. I think it's the uh, Sunday night primetime game. New England goes yeah, out against Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and that's going to be – you know, listen, Seattle's pretty good. I mean, I think them and New Orleans might be the two best teams in the NFC – uh, so that's going to be, well, you know, we'll see how good Belichick and Newton are against, uh, you know, the Seahawks on Sunday night. So, uh, last night, good game against the two Ohio teams that we saw the, uh, we saw the, the beginning of the era of the Joe Burrow years down in, in, uh, with the Bengals. They were on the road to the Browns and the Browns pick up a win. We don't get to say that very much, but the Bengals and the Browns, uh, and certainly, as this is free tape, but I, uh, Adam's going to be on, and was on earlier when this show, when this airs. Uh, so we will definitely be diving into that with his full of excitement uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, but the, the yeah. Bengals and the Browns. <laughs> the Bengals and the Browns. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think Joe Burrow is the real deal in Cincinnati. I think he's, you know, if they can put a team around him, a defense especially. Um, and then you can't have him throw the ball 61 times in a game. I mean, that's that's not doing him any favors. It's not doing your team any favors. I know they kind of fell behind and they needed to, uh, you know, throw the ball a little bit more. But, uh, you know, you got a guy like Joe Mixon back there, and I know they ran him 15 or 16 times, not not a lot of success under three yards per carry. Um, but still, uh, a lot of pressure on Burrow to throw the ball 61 times. But, man, I really like him. I think, you know, he showed a lot of poise, a lot of moxie, good pocket presence. Um, it's going to be great to watch him develop, and hopefully the Cincinnati's got themselves a franchise quarterback. I think they do. Uh, Cleveland, on the other hand, they did a great job running the ball last night, um, you know, over 200 yards on the ground, which is terrific. Um, Mayfield didn't have to do too much. He threw the ball 20-some times, 23 times, I think it was, and uh, had an interception but threw two touchdowns. He did enough. That's all you want your quarterback to do is manage the game and then let, you know, if he can run the ball like they were able to with Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's pretty good recipe right there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I, I think it's kind of neat that the Eagles are playing both these teams this year. Cincinnati comes to Philadelphia in two weeks and then uh, the Eagles will go to Cleveland. I'm not sure when, but uh, at some point this year, probably when it's snowing uh, up there in Cleveland, but uh, <laughs> you know, it was kind of neat to see. I mean, I think these two teams are, that was an exciting game. You know, it was a fun game to watch. Um, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched most of it. And I thought it was a good game to watch. And I think the Browns, that, that's a good win for them. They, you know, they had Odell Beckham got his touchdown pass, a nice long uh, 43 yarder, I think it was. And then, um, you know, they did a good, they did a good job against the defense of the Bengals, which really, really needs work. We're talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, SI.com, our official NFL contributor. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon to be aired when you're listening to us. So uh, thanks, Ed, I mean, yeah, for joining us. Let's walk around the league real quickly here, uh, see what we can get through here in about the next five minutes or so. The Giants are at the Bears. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, well, the Giants, uh, their defense played okay against Pittsburgh. They didn't win, but uh, they played okay. Saquon Barkley didn't have a good game. Uh, in the run game, I think he was, you know, he had a decent uh, game in, you know, pass game, uh, catching some balls. But, um, you know, he needs to get on track. It's in Chicago. I don't know how much of a home field advantage there's going to be in the NFL this year with the fan situation. But, um, you know, Chicago did what it had to do. You know, they scored 21 points in the fourth quarter to beat the Lions last week. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, I think, threw three 
three touchdowns in that fourth quarter. So that's a great start for them. Um, I, I think the Bears have enough to beat the Giants, though, in this game. So we got the Falcons at the Cowboys. Yeah, Dallas 0-1 yeah, right. They're going to have fans. Jerry Jones will have fans in Dallas. And I think Dallas will rebound. They'll find a way to beat beat the Falcons. Um, I don't think it'll be easy, uh, but I think Dallas will get on the, off the snot. I think they're the NFC East champs this year, and um, they better start now. Uh, they better win this game. Because <laughs> uh, like we said, 0-2 does not bode well for the postseason. Um, so, it's uh, you know, it's important for them to find a way to win. I think they will. And the Buccaneers, they've got the Panthers. Certainly, Panthers are rebuilding, but they got a very solid Christian McCaffrey there uh, with with the with the Panthers leading that team. Uh, so, what are your thoughts? Uh, the Panthers are at the Buccaneers. Yeah, well, we talked a little about Brady and Marions, and you know how this team's going to go from here. And it's kind of a dream team situation, which doesn't always lend itself to success. But I, I think you know the Bucks are a good, solid team. I, don't, I think everybody kind of over maybe overrated them and put them in the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship game. I don't think they're that good, um, but I think they're good enough to beat Carolina. Like you said, they're kind of, you know, they have Christian McCaffrey, but, uh, you know, what else do they have there? Um, you know, and they have a new head coach. So, you know, the Matt Rule uh, eventually will get his culture in place and Carolina will be pretty good, but just not this weekend, I don't think. And we got the 49ers at the Jets. Are the Jets still in the league? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I uh, again uh, the Niners disappointing loss to Arizona. I mean, is Arizona for real? I mean, they sure, certainly looked like it. Kyle Murray looked really good last yeah, week. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, there's always that Super Bowl hangover from teams that have been to the Super Bowl and lost. We saw it with LA last year. Um, unless you're in New England, you know, they lost to the Eagles in 2017 and they came back and won the Super Bowl in 2018. But, you know, they're, they're the outlier. You know, usually these teams that go to the Super Bowl and lose have a little bit of a hangover the next year. And, you know, maybe we'll see that with the 49ers uh, as the season goes on. But right now I just don't see that uh, being in the case against the New York Jets team. I think Le'Veon Bell got put on uh, IR. Um, they've lost a couple other guys. I just don't, you know, I think the Jets will probably be in contention for, you know, a top five draft pick by the end of the year. Well, one last final game before we let you go uh, for today, uh, the Jaguars and the Titans, another AFC South matchup. If the Jaguars are able to go 2-0 and in the AFC South, they're going to have a lot of people like myself scratching their head and going, what the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there, man. I mean, who who saw – I certainly did not see them beating Indianapolis, that's for sure. Um, and I don't see them beating Tennessee, but, uh, you know, I was wrong last week. And, you know, Tennessee had a had a pretty tough game against Denver there. It was a – I think it was a two-point game, 16-14. And, um, you know, it was out in Denver, uh, but the Titans did enough to find a way to win. Um, and I, I think they'll win it. I think they'll beat Jacksonville. I mean, I, but I said the same thing with the Colts. I thought, you know, the Colts will beat Jacksonville. So I, I'm going to go with the Titans again. The Jags haven't proven to me, uh, that this is, you know, something they can keep doing week in and week out. Um, but Hey, maybe there'll be a surprise team. We'll see. Ed, thanks for joining us and taking some time to record uh, with us today. Where can people find your work and masterpieces, sir? 
Uh, you can hit me on uh, Twitter at Kratzy, K-R-A-C-Z-E, or uh, at the SI.com slash NFL slash Eagles site if you want to go right to the Eagles, or sometimes it's right there on the homepage. You can just click Eagles. So that's how you find me. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. You have yourself a good home opener this weekend. Yeah, you too. All right, buddy. Thanks. Have a good day. All right. You too. That's B. Ryder from Philadelphia Eagles joined us in, in that can, if you will. And uh, those jokes will never end. Thanks so much for being a sports show for helping us kick things off. Uh, Rick Riggin and Adam Jividen talking about some college football, uh, Ohio State Buckeyes, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and a walk around uh, the, the few games that are being played. Also, thanks to Tony Donahue of uh, the Tony D podcast. And, uh, joined us to talk IndyCar, and Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of uh, uh, SpeedwayDigest.com, joins us as well to talk some NASCAR. And as you just heard, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com, and our official NFL contributor. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente. Remember, don't drink and drive, but it isn't cool. I'm out of here. This is Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.